Hey, everybody, how you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. Happy Friday to y'all. Looking forward to getting back to you here in another podcast episode. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We are going to cover a couple of topics today. We're going to get into California reopening um, on June 15th, and we're going to talk about a lot of the restrictions being lifted, and we're going to kind of go a little bit and do a little bit of a deep dive, some venting, some frustration. We're going to let it all out, and then we're going to... The next part of the podcast, we're going to talk about money and politics um, and and the topic of publicly funded elections and how this could be a good thing or a very bad thing. I was having some um, interesting conversation with some folks here in my hometown of Poway, California, the city in the country. And we were talking about this. and I thought it'd be a great topic to share with you in the audience. And then finally, um, I'm going to do a new segment that uh, I'm going to call it Johnny's Rules for Life. And this is going to be kind of an ongoing thing where I'm just going to offer some of my own thoughts and wisdom and and things that I've discovered as a middle-aged guy that I can pass on down to a younger generation to hopefully they can embrace some of the rules of life that I've figured out on my own or I've learned from others. So I'll share one of those today, and I'll probably be sharing those um, on a consistent basis moving forward. But anyways, thanks again for joining us. You know, it's, uh, gosh, it's, uh, we're getting near the end of May, man. And like, you know, they're going to be opening up on June 15th. So this is great. So we're going to get into that in a minute. But you know, we're, we're live streaming, you know, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook. So of course I welcome your thoughts and comments. I'll read them on the air. In fact, I'm going to play around with some of the new technology here in my StreamYard software, and I'll be able to display the comments on the screen. So the rest of the audience can see them. For those of you that are watching the live stream, of course, a lot of my audience listens to the audio only podcast. So we'll of course read them for everybody. We'll play around here with some of the video and, um, you know, just what I've been up to, I just want to share one thing. And I've been binge watching a particular series that I just think is great. And it's called the Underground Railroad. And if you've seen this, it's on Prime and it's um, a streaming show on Amazon Prime. And it really walks. It's, it's you know, it's it's fictional and, and based on historical fact, but there's a little bit of a supernatural element to it. And it's about, obviously, slaves in the early part of the 19th century and and uh, how the runaways were able to flee and run north and to f- discover freedom. But they did it. You know, the, the historical textbooks are all about an actual like a like an underground railroad, which was sort of a metaphor. Right. You know, where people were moved through houses, clandestine in the dark and night, a um, little bit at a time in, in various safe houses until they eventually made it to freedom. Well, the Underground Railroad show on Amazon Prime is just that, and it traces a number of characters, but one particular character all the way through, her name is Cora, she does a great job acting. But the cool part of this is, is that in this show, the Underground Railroad is not a metaphor. There's actually a railroad that goes underground, and that's how it transports these runaway slaves into to freedom. So it's really a cool show. You know, and this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, getting away from slavery is all about liberty, right? And and uh, slavery, a violation of liberty, is, uh, frankly, a, a stain on, on American history because it violates 
the very rights that we founded this nation on. But anyways, I just can't recommend the show enough. It's called Underground Railroad on Amazon Prime, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, Also looking forward to continuing the Padres win streak. Man, they've won six in a row. They're up in Seattle. The game time tonight is, it's either at six. I think it's at seven o'clock tonight. So looking forward to that. Uh, But it's going to be a good weekend here in San Diego County. And so hopefully you're Looking forward to having a good time. I think we're going to have some friends in town. They should be coming in tomorrow. I'm not sure when, but we'll be learning more about them shortly. Okay, so let's get into the first topic. And it's kind of the headline news on San Diego Union Tribune, on the LA Times, on the San Francisco Chronicle, sfgate.com. It's that Gavin Newsom and the California government have finally announced that they're going to reopen the state on June 15th. And we have been hearing, you know, Rumors of this, this was likely to be coming and they've made it an official statement. And I, man, hallelujah. I mean, finally, you know, we've been saying there's light at the end of the tunnel. Now we can see it. So now it's what, maybe three, three and a half weeks away. So this is great news. And I mean, I'm excited now, you know, go to the Padre games at Petco Park. They're going to be able to fill Petco Park all the way to the top, 100% capacity. They're going to be opening up restaurants and bars. And it's supposed to be the way I read this article was supposed to be that it's going to be like we are back to normal, that all the COVID restrictions have been lifted, that there are no longer going to be mask requirements, not just outdoors, but also indoors. Now, of course, a place of business could have their own set of rules, and some businesses may choose to keep the mask mandate. I doubt many will. Um, but also, uh, there are there are still certain cases, I think, where the government's going to require masks. It's going to be for, you know, going to like a rock concert, you know, when you're, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people. They'll probably be seeing some mask requirements there. But generally speaking, restaurants will be able to open up full capacity. Bars can open. Gymnasiums, places of worship can have no restrictions, not just on capacity. Like, you know, Petco Park went from what? 15% to 25% to 33%. There's no restriction on percentage. It's now just just like it was before, 100%. So this is this is great. And they're also getting rid of all the tiers. You know, the orange tier, the yellow tier, the purple tier, the red tier. And it was like a damn like terror warning tier uh, system like they put in after 9-11, where you got to look to your, your government authorities to tell you what you're allowed to do or not do. And I mean, I, I'm excited that that's finally out the window, too. I was always getting confused by the color tiers. And I know some people were really into it and they really understood the differences. I never took the time to, but it just was such a ridiculous color coding system. Well, that's all out the window. And um, the other part of this is, is that, yeah, if, if you're vaccinated, there is no need for a mask starting June 15th indoors. And and I think if you're unvaccinated, you know, some people are some places of business are going to have certain rules for you. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Petco Park or a couple of, you know, uh, arenas, auditoriums, stadiums might have certain rules for people that, you know, honestly declare themselves to be unvaccinated. Perhaps they're going to still have to wear a mask. But overall, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Things are opening up. And I, I think this is great now. We've also seen guidance, and this has been kind of interesting. Dr. Fauci has always been insisting that you need to wear a mask, um, even outdoors, even if you're vaccinated. And he was even wearing a double mask while he was vaccinated 
outdoors. And he was being ridiculed by people in Congress. And Rand Paul called him out. And and he kept maintaining that that was the right thing to do. Well, in another interview that I, I saw recently, Fauci admitted that he didn't want to give the wrong signal. He admitted it was theater for vaccinated people to wear masks outdoors. So it's like We've been living under this form of sort of pseudoscience to a degree. Now, the virus is real, of course, and the virus is damaging and you've got to take precautions. But some of the some of the rules enacted by government were so far over the top that weren't based on science. There were restrictions of our liberties. And we find out that some of it is admittedly theater. Um, so to me, this is bananas. Um, now, I'm I'm overjoyed that there are vaccines now because. With a vaccine, you really need to start lifting all of the um, – we have to start lifting all of these restrictions now. I mean, if you have a vaccine, then you're protecting yourself. I often joke – really not joking, but for real – getting a vaccination is selfish, right? It, because it's about protecting yourself. Um, so if you are vaccinated, well, then – Good for you. You can move through society with minimal to zero risk. The people that are at risk are the ones that aren't vaccinated. They're making a choice not to be vaccinated. So it's kind of that's on them. Right. So in my opinion, these rules should be lifted immediately. But California is always so restrictive, so so much authoritarianism that comes from Sacramento, such a top down approach that is frankly just a, a flat out violation of our individual rights, of our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, now, it's interesting, too, that some people are freaking out. They're, they're, they're thinking they're lifting these mask mandates way too soon. And I saw some of this on my like our local town here, Poway, California. I enjoy going to some of our local Facebook groups here in Poway. And, you know, a lot of them are pretty political, politically neutral. But there's one that we can talk. There's a couple, actually, we could talk politics. One of the better ones is South and North Poway Votes, which is, you know, politically um, oriented Facebook group. And the people that, you know, the Chris Cruz, who runs it, and a lot of people that are on her team, essentially, are still really concerned. They think it's too soon, too early to lift the masks. And I'm like, for the longest time, you know, you, you hear progressives, our friends on the left, beating up the right wingers for not accepting science, right? When it comes to climate change or any other scientific issue. Yeah, there's a lot of people on the right that don't believe in the science, right? But now we have not only a scientific understanding of, of how the virus is transmitted, and on top of it, we know that if you're vaccinated, you're safe. You're I mean, there's like a minuscule chance you're going to get it. But, you know, there's no such thing as a risk free life. Um, when you get if I got a flu vaccine, I'm generally safe. I might get the flu, but generally speaking, I'm going to be all right. So Mike Ryan on the live stream. Hi, John. How you doing, Mike? Nice to see you on the live stream. Again, I encourage you to type in your thoughts and comments. I'll read them on the air. In fact, let me do this. I'm going to click on Mike's comment and it'll show it on the screen. I'm going to start doing this a little bit more in my video podcast, kind of sharing the comments on the screen so everyone can see them. And so some of my my uh, my fans, or that sounds a little conceited, but the people that enjoy following this podcast can see their name in, in the spotlight as well. So I'll be doing a lot more of that. Well, 
people are still freaking out that this is too soon. And it's like, well, these are the people that were condemning the right wingers for not believing in science. And now they're the ones that are denying science. And that they think we need to have more restrictions or continue the restrictions, continue the mask mandates, continue a lot of these stay at home orders, even when we're vaccinated. And I just to me, it's like the pendulum just swings so wildly in both directions where we just lose sight of reason, rationality and science. So I don't know. Again, I'm just overjoyed that we're finally getting near the end of this. Um, you know, kudos to the scientists and and the va- vaccine manufacturers for getting the product out in the world of vaccines. They got it out really fast. But in my opinion, it could have been out way faster. You know, they they discovered what the, the covid virus was became a thing. What in December of 2019, I think. And it was spreading in China in January of 2020. In January of 2020, they also were able to isolate the virus. They were able to decode or, you know, the genome of that virus. And based on that data, they were able to scientifically calculate what the what the vaccine should be, essentially the formula for the vaccine in January of 2020. And then immediately uh, these manufacturers took this and began developing the vaccine products. There were vaccines available in the second quarter of 2020, but they weren't available to the public because the government, the FDA were restricting the release of those. And we hear people wagging their finger at others saying, well, the loss of life and you don't care about life. Well, the delay of this vaccine by six or more months for a lot of people has resulted in the loss of life for a lot of folks. But at least now they're finally available. That's good news. But the whole the whole setup with all of these restrictions and lockdowns and shutting down of businesses, I mean, it was just an, an, a, a terrible infringement or violation of our individual rights. I mean, this is America, for Christ's sake. This is a land of liberty. This is a land about freedom. And yet we had the government shutting us down. There were all sorts of issues. I mean, and 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 I'm not talking about like little things, you know, like a six foot distance or Petco Park going from 15 percent to 33 percent. I'm talking about huge violations of our individual rights to our own life only because they said there was a potential risk. But that's not how rights are supposed to work. The whole point of a right is that you can't take it away. The whole point of a right is that just because there's something risky that's out there, that's something that could be dangerous, that's no reason to repeal your rights. It's no reason to essentially ignore what this nation is supposed to be all about. About life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, that was built in right with our founding documents. So, I mean, it's just insane. I mean, it was just flat out tyrannical. I mean, the, the, the fact that a lot of these politicians that put forward these, these rules, in my opinion, should be removed from office. I, I couldn't be more supportive of the recall effort on Gavin Newsom. The guy, I mean, I get it. You've got to have some 
awareness, education of people, you know, how the virus is transmitted, the encouragement of masks, the encouragement of social distancing, the encouragement of working from home where possible. But in so many cases, these rules went so far to the point where if you didn't follow those rules, you were getting written up. I mean, you were getting tickets or being arrested. You saw people that were at the beach, for Christ's sake, at the beach getting arrested outdoors with no one around them, all because of these crazy rules. Um, Here's a comment here from Mike Ryan on the live stream. I think uh, precautions needed to be taken to protect Americans. I understand rights, but I also understand the government's side as well. Locking down may have saved lives. Okay, Mike, I'm in full agreement with you that we need to protect Americans. Fully agreed. And I understand that the government does have their their place. But what it should have been is educational. It should have been um, persuasion. It should have been using the bully pulpit to tell people and to bring scientists forward so people could make educated decisions about how to manage their own life. But when the government establishes rights, that's the whole point of a right is it should never be taken away. Um, So that's one of the challenges that I've had with this whole situation. Um, And then, you know, like we said, we've learned that you can't spread the virus outdoors. Yet there have been mass mandates outdoors and for the longest time. We knew it made no sense. Fauci admitted it, it made no sense, but yet he continued to wear the mask so he could virtue signal, so he could try to, that was his form of educating. But it turned out that government officials made that a mandate so that masks were required. And it created this whole paranoia. And people, if you saw someone walking down the street without a mask, people were being scowled at, being looked upon as a second-class citizen. People wagging their finger at other people when they're freaking outdoors in, in you know, an open-air environment where the risk of getting hit by a car is probably far greater than catching this virus. So... Um, and then what else did we learn? I mean, we saw all of the the crazy wiping down of surfaces. In fact, I go into Costco and I still see them doing it. Now, you know, great. If Costco wants to do that and they want to wipe down every handle um, on the freezers, then, you know, good on them to keep the place clean. But it, but it was there was like this paranoia. Right. Be, but we knew early on that this virus wasn't transmitted by touching surfaces. It was transmitted through the air from people breathing. But yet we had all this paranoia about all these wipe downs. It was just a means of, there was just an excessive amount of fear that resulted in an excessive amount of control of people like you and me. I mean, it was just just terrible what happened. I mean, we saw people's businesses, their livelihoods, the things that they, they did that were part of their passion get shut down. Restaurants tied with one arm behind their back, rules changing constantly. Then they said outdoor dining was okay. Then suddenly it wasn't okay. But we said, wait a minute, you can eat outdoors. It's outside. We even talked about this on even indoors. If it's a well-ventilated place, it's it's generally fine. Uh, I, on one of my previous podcasts, we talked about La Jolla Country Day. Um, the private school that's out, you know, right next, on the east side of UC San Diego, they were open almost the entire 2020, 2020, 
one school year. And they had filtration systems in the classrooms. They had open doors and open windows, and they had almost zero infections because they were following the science. So um, it's something. And uh, Mike Devine on the live stream saying, no worries. I'm a fan. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you. Um, I am in the Poway Sprouts and corporate says they will no longer hassle their customers about masks. Right on. Good for them. Now, again, I'm all for corporations establishing their own rules in their own place of business. Like when I go visit my buddy Dennis at the Postal Annex right next to Target in Poway, you know, he has a mask rule. So I wear a mask. I respect his rights to run his business according to his own rules. But it's nice to see that other corporations are starting to relax their rules. And I, I couldn't be more supportive. But, you know, we talk about La Jolla Country Day. You know, they they were they were they had their students in class the entire school year. They had filtration systems, open doors, open windows, the open circulating air. And virtually no problems. I think there might have been one case. It was it was almost insignificant. Well, what about the kids that were in public school? The their lives. I feel sorry for these kids that are in elementary school, middle school, high school that saw their lives turned upside friggin' down because of these rules that shut down these schools when it didn't have to be that way. And so. You know, we see kids at home, you know, and I, again, I'm a big supporter of online education, but not for little kids. I mean, online education works, in my opinion, in college, if it's done right, and it can work in high school in certain cases. But online education isn't for a a third grader. And you had kids that basically had like a wasted year where they learned very little. Some may have regressed all of these like social problems where they were depressed Stuck at home, couldn't see their friends. And the risk to these children was minimal. And we even knew that in the very beginning, that the risk to these children was minimal. And then I think about young adults. I think about, you know, my kids, my, like my daughter, she graduated from college, you know, about nine months before the, the virus hit. But my son is in college and this has completely blown up his college experience. And for a lot of his friends, some of his friends took a whole year off of college because they didn't find it to be productive to spend so much money to go to school and then have to do the online education that was poorly enacted. Because a lot of these universities and high schools, they were scrambling. Poway Unified School District here in my local hometown, they were scrambling. They had no plan. A lot of other private schools, by the way, have been doing online education for a while. They had the curriculum. They had the software platform. Their kids were ramped up to speed. But a lot of these other places had no plan. And that's why for a lot of these classes that were done online, it was a complete disaster. So, and it didn't have to be that way. We knew in the very beginning that not only was the virus transmitted through the air, but it was primarily older people that got it. There were ways that we could have protected our rights, our inalienable rights to manage our own life, to have the liberty to make choices for ourselves and essentially to live our life according to our own values, to pursue our own happiness. If only the government didn't shut us down. And it's just, it's just awful. 
a couple more comments here on the live stream uh, from Mike Ryan. I don't think education was coming into play here. It would appear the government was scrambling because they weren't quite sure what to do. They weren't. And I think a lot of politicians didn't want to be the ones that didn't take it seriously and then would have been blamed for large amounts of deaths. That's my guess. And I think when Trump was, you know, kind of flippant about it earlier on, and I don't support Trump, I think Trump, there were things he could have done early on, especially with testing and tracing early on to contain the virus. But he he didn't want to do that. He We had an opportunity to get testing kits delivered to us. I think it was from the EU and Trump turned them down because he wanted them made in America. Well, there were things Trump could have done, but still Trump, you know, we all know he was generally kind of mock the mask thing, was flippant about it. I think he was a little bit too far on the other side. But the, re, the, the scientific position, the scientific lane, the, the rational lane was not really being occupied by our friends on the right or their friends on the left. So it's a shame that it's come to this. But here we are. Um, a couple more comments on the live stream. Also from Mike Ryan. Fauci, unfortunately, is someone I wouldn't trust as far as I could throw him. He's flip-flopped several times on the subject, which tells me they are uncertain about the virus and how to handle it. Well, yeah, remember in the beginning, he said, don't wear masks. Now, granted, he was saying that because they were trying to get the masks for all the healthcare workers. But he was basically saying the masks weren't necessary. Then suddenly they became necessary. Now he's telling us, well, they really weren't necessary after all, outsource. Yeah, they were dealing with a lot of unknowns. But again, I think political leaders were afraid of being blamed for massive casualties. Because, you know, that's how the game is played, is um, people will blame them for deaths. And they just didn't want that hanging on their, on them. And a lot of them, well, not Fauci, but people like Newsom, they have greater political aspirations. You know damn well Gavin Newsom's going to run for president at some point. So this is all part of his strategy. Um, Mike Ryan on the live stream. I agree with recall on Newsom. He is not a good leader for our state and our government. Many jobs and companies have shut down due to his direction, a direction he didn't follow when he had his parties. Yeah, he was at the French Laundry, that kind of, you know, upscale restaurant while there were lockdowns for all the other restaurants. I mean, it was very two-faced. I mean, we saw other cases of hair salons being shut down, but Nancy Pelosi being able to get into hair salons. So a lot of this hypocrisy double standards, two-faced politicians, but that's politics, right? That's what we get there. Um, now, the other crazy part of this is, is that while our liberties are being restricted, again, let me just say up front, I mean, the virus is real. The virus has caused a great deal of death and a great deal of pain and misery. It's, it's a serious bug. I mean, by all means, uh, it shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, people should socially distance. People should, if not vaccinated, wear masks. People should work from home if they have that option. You know, just stay safe. Protect yourself. Um, but uh, while all this is going on, there's a lot of money being spent, right? We saw a ton of money being spent by the government to not only provide relief for people that are out of work, but also to bail out all these companies. 
to bail out not only small mom and pop businesses who had to be shut down or had one arm tied behind their back because of the government policy, but we saw huge corporations getting hundreds of millions of dollars basically, excuse me, using this as an opportunity to cash in. Now, we, you know, there's a lot of talk about this concept of the Great Reset. I don't know if you've heard about this, but, you know, a lot of this is a, a worldwide movement to enact more socially democratic policies, um, to, make, to make the United States government and many other governments around the world kind of work like many European governments, you know, free college, free and I say free in quotes because you still got to pay for it through taxes, but free uh, health care, um, you know, canceling student debt, a lot of green energy, uh, climate change initiatives. And we can go down the list. They were always looking for an opportunity, some crisis, you know, kind of like Rahm Emanuel always said, never let a crisis go to waste. And a lot of them were using this as an opportunity to implement part of the Great Reset, and they're getting it, not only during the pandemic, but we're seeing it now coming out of the pandemic in the so-called recovery that Biden is putting forward. But it's not only that, it's also we've seen a massive wealth transfer. And it's not necessarily just from taxpayers to people that are sitting home not working. There is some of that. But it's more like you're going to see a mass wealth, uh, wealth transfer to the top to the elite, to the top one-tenth of 1%. Because think about it. What's happening? The, the Federal Reserve is just printing money hand over fist, cranking out all this cash, and then passing it out, right? And as they pass it out, where does it go? Well, it's going to businesses who then are using that money in some cases to pad their bottom line, in other cases to pay workers. So some of the money goes to workers, which is great. Okay, to keep their job, which they really never had to worry about keeping the job if it wasn't for the pandemic in the first place. But then in other cases, there are people that are out of work that are getting paid. And people might say, well, this is the right thing to do. This is this is only just we have to care for our fellow citizens. But what are those people going to do when they get that when they already received that fourteen hundred dollar stimulus check? What are they doing with all this freshly printed money that's being delivered to them in the form of ex expanded unemployment benefits, what do they do with that money? They spend it, right? They spend it on on food and and they spend it on clothing. I mean, they could spend it on anything. But when they spend it, who do they spend it with? They spend it with large corporations who those corporations then become more profitable and then those shareholders make more money, and then the rich get richer. And meanwhile, the people at the bottom that have been pushed out of their job, that have no form of income other than the money that they're getting from the government, see the money that they receive. That $1,400 check was probably gone in less than 30 days. Now they suddenly have nothing to show for it. And they can't, well, now they can go and get jobs, but for a while they couldn't work. So in many ways, like I've always said, the system is rigged in so many ways where it, it protects the wealth at the top and it punishes the people at the bottom by, by essentially 
by essentially trapping them in poverty. And we're seeing this play out. I just saw another headline where there are some newly minted billionaires. And who are they? They're the CEOs of these pharmaceutical companies that created the vaccine. Now, again, I don't hate on CEOs. I don't hate on billionaires either. As a general rule, I know there's a lot of people that hear the word billionaire and they immediately think it's an evil person. I always ask them, how is Oprah damaging you? How is Warren Buffett damaging you? Billionaires aren't by default evil people. Rich people by default are not evil people. Every individual is different. There's some that are virtuous and some that are not. And we see that at every income level in society. But, you know, these guys from pharmaceutical companies have gotten dramatically wealthy because of the vaccine to, to, uh, to go after the virus. Now, again, good on them for creating a vaccine, and they should be rewarded for that. But we wouldn't have had to have this massive vaccine in the first place if the virus was managed properly in the very beginning through contact tracing and quarantining the people that had the virus, which was the failure of Trump. So... We're seeing massive wealth transfer. All this newly printed money is creating massive inflation. Housing prices were already expensive and rising. Now they're rising at an insane rate. I saw a a note that the median home price in San Diego County is $825,000. Oh, my God. I mean, it wasn't five, six hundred thousand not that long ago. It's taking huge leaps forward. We're seeing lumber prices that are up three to four times, tripling or quadrupling in price with lumber. We're seeing, in many cases, gasoline get expensive. Now granted gasoline always gets expensive this time of the year because there's generally more demand and then all the refineries switch to their summer blend, which again was part of the government causing them to that regulation causing them to do that, which ends up increasing costs. But we're seeing massive inflation. There's already been huge inflation for decades in healthcare and in and in higher education and college. And we're seeing food prices going up. I mean, it's all it's because of the printing of money. When you print this massive amount of money and then it circulates at fast speed. That's when you start to see inflation go up. Inflation isn't exclusively a problem of capitalism. Inflation is almost entirely a monetary policy in terms of how they're printing money and how it's being distributed. The more they print, the less value each of your dollars are. That's what we're experiencing. And that's what you've seen in some extreme cases, like in Zimbabwe, where you got to have a wheelbarrow of dollar bills to buy something. That's an extreme case, but we're seeing that. We're feeling that right now. And when inflation goes up and people have to spend a lot of money on these products at high prices, who gets rich? The people that are already rich. So always watch the other hand with this. When the federal government or even the state and local governments, they try to be all about protecting the little guy, but there's always some moneyed interest that is capitalizing on the situation. And then it kind of really makes you wonder who's managing the strings on the puppet. Who's the man behind the curtain that's making a lot of this happen. And that's what we're seeing here. 
So I know. So I, again, I, I just, I, hopefully the one lesson we can learn from this whole thing, this whole COVID pandemic and the shutdowns and the restrictions and, you know, the curfews and the stay at home orders and the economic lockdowns and the mask wearing and all of this, the, the arrests of people just walking on the beach. Oh, my God. Um, if we can learn one thing, it's this. Is that freedom is hard is hardly fought. Freedom is difficult to attain. We have only had what I'll call a, a reasonably free society for the last 200, 250 years. Since essentially the creation of America. Now, granted, America is not perfect. America has got a lot of stains on its on its history. Like we talked about slavery in the beginning of the podcast. But generally speaking, we are freer people today than people were 300 years ago, a thousand years ago. But you can see how quickly those liberties can be taken away in a snap of a finger. Sometimes not even with a vote, just by decree. And that's something we have to be very aware of and very vigilant about because freedom is precious. And that's, again, why this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So anyways, I can't be happier that we are, we have, they have announced June 15th. I'm still a little skeptical. I wouldn't be surprised if they came up with an excuse to extend it again, but we'll see. Pete Neal on the live stream joining us. He says, the U.S. is ranked fourth in the world for pharmaceutical exports, third ranked by market share behind European Union and Germany. Well, isn't Germany part of the European Union? Um, And yet with regards to COVID, the U.S. has the highest vaccination rate. Now, this, again, I'm going to give credit to Biden on this because he made a big deal about people getting vaccinated. I love that. I mean, that's and to me, that's how a, a leader should be to use the bully pulpit, to be persuasive. To show scientific rationale why it's in people's best interest to get a vaccine. As opposed to mandating the vaccine. That's a whole other angle. There's a lot of people that want to do that, by the way. They want to mandate it. But Biden did a really good job, I think, of of pushing forward the vaccine and really touting the benefits of it. Now, I think a lot of people were just fed up with all of this, you know, shutdown, lockdown, curfews, all the stuff that they were probably like, oh, my God, give me the vaccine and we'll be one step closer. So, you know, good on you, Biden, for getting that out. Now, granted, again, I think the, the vi- uh, vaccine could have been out much sooner, but it wasn't. OK, um, I got a couple more com- co- topics to get into. But uh, anyways, I just want to let you know, you can follow me on social media if you want to continue the conversation. You can go to my uh, website. Well, the John Riley Project is my website. But if you go johnreillyproject.com, but if you just go to connectwithjohnny.com connectwithjohnny.com. There you'll see all of my social media links, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and also all the podcast platforms where you can view or listen to this podcast. Um, there's links to my Apple podcast channel and Stitcher, Spotify, where you can listen to the John Riley Project while you're out enjoying your day 
outdoors exercising without a mask. <laughs> so you can join me there if you'd like. So go to connectwithjohnny.com. Okay, um, now let's talk about getting money out of politics. And like I told you, this this topic came forward uh, from people in my hometown here, Poway, California, the city in the country, 92064. So I, I love this city. It's a great city. Okay. It's a great place to raise a family. Um, the city has been good to me and my family. I, you know, it's a great place to be. And there's some really active Facebook groups in my, in my community. And one of them, like I tell you, I, that I enjoy visiting is South and North Poway Votes. And it's run by this, this uh, woman. Her name is Chris Cruz. And she's very good at what she does. She's, she's uh, thorough. Uh, she does her homework. Um, she's persistent in getting data from our local government. Uh, she's a community activist. Now, she and I differ on a lot of issues. Sometimes we're in agreement, but mostly we differ on a lot of issues. But I respect her because of of her integrity and her belief in what she's all about. She's very true to her cause, even if I disagree with him. It's kind of like Bernie Sanders. I don't support Bernie, but I respect him because he's consistent. He he walks the walk he talks the talk and walks the walk, right? So on the South and North Poway Votes page, there was a conversation about publicly funded elections. And this is the idea that rather than the politicians going out and doing all this fundraising, right? Because they're always raising a tremendous amount of money, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars here in San Diego County to run for, let's say, county supervisor, um, I actually, and then, you know, more than that, millions of dollars to run for Congress, tens of millions of dollars have to be raised to run for Senate or more, maybe even a hundred million. And then in the case of the presidency, I, I don't know how much was raised. I think, didn't Hillary raise a billion dollars or something close to that? I mean, just insane money that's being spent in politics, right? And we all know this is a corrupting influence. Because what do they spend the money on? They, they spend the money. They, well, first of all, these donors give money to the politicians hoping that they're going to win because they support their platform. But in other cases, special interests, especially a lot of corporate donors, they have an agenda. They want to see certain regulations enacted that block their competitors, that make it difficult for people to get into their marketplace. They want to create barriers of entry. So they find politicians that are sympathetic to their needs. They give them a lot of money to help them and kind of pad their campaign chest. Well, what do they do? They go out and they spend a ton of money on advertising. So television advertising, radio advertising, internet advertising, it's just tremendous. And, you know, I, I live in the world of marketing, um, I own a small marketing agency. I don't do political marketing. There are people that that's all they do. And by the way, the one rule that people have taught me uh, and told me about political marketing, marketing is you always get paid in advance. You never, ever, ever deliver your services before getting paid because the politicians will be the first ones to say, oops, sorry, we're out of money. Well... Anyways, tremendous amounts of, of dollars are being spent, obviously, to help those candidates get elected. And then what ends up happening, of course, is a quid pro quo. Those politicians will help enact legislation or, in some cases, influence regulations 
to rig markets, to rig systems, to benefit the special interests that give them money. So we all know that that's a corrupting cycle and it's, it's unhealthy. And, and frankly, it's, been a part of American history for a very long time. So people say, well, what if we could just get all the money out of these elections? Wouldn't it be great? And on top of it, what if we set it up so everyone got the same amount of money and we made it equitable? And so instead, rather than having people spend money to fund all these different elections uh, candidates, what if we just publicly funded it? We just took it from tax dollars out of the general fund and use that money to give every politician the same amount of money. Maybe every local politician, I'm going to make up a number, gets $10,000. Maybe a county supervisor candidate, everyone gets a half a million. Maybe if you're running for Congress, everybody gets $3 million. And if you're running for Senate, everyone gets $50 million. And if you're running for president, every candidate gets, I don't know, Something more than that, 500, mil, uh, 500 million, something. It's, it's essentially this idea of egalitarianism, of equity, and we'll make everyone equal, and they'll all have an equal chance. Sounds nice, doesn't it? That we could get money out of politics and set it up so that some of these politicians aren't spending insane money while these underdogs have very little Pete Neal on the live stream chiming in. I'm curious about how many people would vote for the removal of money from campaigns. I accepted no campaign money and I placed third out of four candidates. Yeah, Pete, you ran for Poway City Council in 2018 and I loved your campaign. And I think if I, I'm going to try to remember the rules, I think it was you had a, a limit of $200 that if you spent less than $200, you did not have to report any of your campaign financials to the registrar of voters. Uh, but if you spent over 200, you would. And so I think you spent a little and you spent it out of your own pocket. You know, good for you, Pete. A local election, that's very noble. But we know in a local election, even in our own small town of Poway, running for city council or even school board, political parties are still very, very influential. Political parties still spend tens of thousands of dollars on local candidates with mailers and, and internet ads and in some cases, television ads. Yeah, it's tough. Would people vote for the removal of money from campaigns? I think some people would. I mean, there are probably a lot of people that would, but, but think about it. Just really, I want to break this down because there's a lot of implications to this that I don't know if we've all thought this through. Okay, so... First of all, a lot of this is fueled by this whole idea that people are angry at Citizens United, right? So Citizens United is the Supreme Court case. When was that ruled? Like 20 years ago or so that essentially said that not only people, but even corporations have a right to free speech because pol politicians, what they wanted to do was to put a limit on how much money corporations could spend to amplify their message, particularly their political messages. And so they were enacting these laws. And then I, Citizens United, I don't know, it was just some sort of group that went to, went to uh, the Supreme Court and, and fought, I don't know on which side, there's the actual organization, Citizens United, where they 
yeah, if it was Citizens United, then they were probably for restricting corporations' ability to spend money on advertising for political issues. Well, break it down. What what does the First Amendment say? Okay, the First Amendment doesn't say we grant free speech rights to people, but not to corporations. It doesn't say that. In fact, the First Amendment doesn't even say that we grant a right to anybody. Because we all know that freedom of speech is just a part of our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Freedom of speech is a natural law. I mean, a natural right. I mean, you don't have to ask permission of people to speak. When you pop out the womb, you're crying. <laughs> you, you don't have to ask for permission to speak. That's the default. Now, of course, some governments want to restrict it and prevent it. And I mean, we even saw Prince Harry condemning the First Amendment. Of course, what would he know? He's like a, ro- a royalty. We created the First Amendment in America partly as a reason to escape the oppression and tyranny of England in the first place in King George. Well, but the First Amendment says it starts with Congress shall make no law. And then it goes through, I think, establishing a, uh, um, a, a state religion or preventing people from exercising their religion. But when it get the clause with speech is, if I recall, it's Congress shall make no law abridging a person's right to speech. Or I don't even think it says person abridging the right to speech. If, if it's what I, I believe it says. But the point is, it's Congress shall make no law. So what does that mean? That means that the First Amendment is not a granting of rights to an individual or to a corporation. In fact, what it is, it's a restriction on the power of government. Congress shall make no law. So anyways, a lot of this is fueled by people being so upset that with the Citizens United case, it essentially said the corporations can spend whatever they want on political speech, which, by the way, I'm for liberty, right? I don't necessarily agree with what some of these people are spending their money on, but I support their right to do it. Um, Yuri Bolin on the live stream chiming in. Myself and Pete Neal were the only candidates who do not take money from anyone. Campaigns should not come from taxpayer money. Okay, great. Yuri, you and I agree on that. Donations to campaigns are motivated by interests by either individuals or companies for a reason. Exactly. (laughs) For a reason. The only donations that are fair come from relatives or best friends from third grade. Yeah, because they support you, right? Getting donations from your family because they they love you and they want you to be successful and they respect you and they respect your character and your integrity. Yeah, great. But, you know, we all can't fund political campaigns from the donations of our family. And and frankly, people like myself that was raised in an Irish Catholic family, I would have a huge advantage (laughs) over a lot of others because I have like 3000 cousins. Um. But you're you're right. And yeah, you and Pete um, did not take any money from anyone. But people get upset with this because there's such so much money in politics and it's so corrupting. And I agree with that. So think about it, though, if we had elections that were publicly financed, which some people really want. That means we're all paying taxes. 
some more than others, some a lot more than others. That tax dollars, they go into the general fund and then they get allocated, a certain budget of it gets allocated to this, we'll make it up, some elections committee. And then suddenly every candidate's running for office is getting money from taxpayers, not just serious candidates that are running for office that have track records in politics or track records in their community that are legitimate candidates, not just upstart candidates that maybe don't have the track record, but have the ideas and the policies and actually have the backing of a lot of people. They would get money too. You might say, oh, that's great. You know, not only will these other guys that are sort of the ones that are connected to the money, connected to the political parties get money, but so will these other upstarts. You know, people like Pete and Yuri that were legitimate candidates, good guys. They just didn't want to play the money game. They could get equal money to some of the other candidates. That sounds great, right? But who else would do it? You would find a lot of publicity seekers that would do it. Heck, maybe me, I to publicize my podcast, maybe I should run for city council or state assembly or governor of California. If they're offering money for me as a candidate for free so I can spend it on TV, radio, internet, and amplify my message about my name and my personal brand, that'd be fantastic. So when you have public financing, it encourages that sort of thing. It also encourages not just publicity seekers, but entrepreneurs that want to essentially use this as an excuse to promote them and their company. Getting advertising dollars funded off the back of taxpayers. And then not only that, then you get all of the crazy people, the people that aren't legitimate candidates in the first place. You also get... Frankly, people that are you, you could be empowering people that are that are, you know, racist or anti-gay or whatever, whatever immoral policy or immoral um, agenda, you'd be empowering them because they would get equal access to that money, too. And as taxpayers, we would be forced to subsidize those messages not just of people in the political party we, we don't agree with. Not only would the, the Trump protesters here on Poway at Pomerado and Twin Peaks that hold up the Trump banners every Sunday, not only would they be forced to pay taxes to subsidize Democrats, but we would all be forced to pay taxes to pay for the campaigns of, in some cases, joke candidates, publicity seekers, or maybe people that just have evil agendas, that none of them are serious candidates. None of them really want to win. They just want to get in the spotlight. So to me, that's just that on that basis alone, it's a terrible violation of liberty. Um, Steve Moss on the live stream chiming in here. Uh, Trump virus is here to chastise Trump tardia. <laughs> Good citizens should simply get vaccinated, unmask and watch the morons suffer. I'm with you there. Vaccinate, unmask, unless you're in a place of business or a person's personal property where they require it, respect their rights too. get vaccinated. And then, yeah, if morons want to suffer, go for it. And you, you cite a few biblical verses there, too. Dana, uh, Dana McGee Sterl says, I like the idea of public money. Would that mean that a candidate can't push it, uh, can't put in their 
personal money. Yeah, that's the idea. So if campaigns are publicly financed, then super rich guys can't spend more than that limit. Now, think about that for a minute. Now, first of all, let me just say this. I think this, there are some places where they do public financing, but usually it's and in fact, I think you can do that even for the presidency, but you have to opt in or opt out. If you opt in, then you are limited to the threshold. But if you opt out and accept no public money, then you can spend whatever you want. I think that's how it works for the president's uh, presidential election because they get some sort of a match. But let's just take, you know, running for city council. Okay. And let's just pretend that there is a $10,000 bucket of cash that every candidate got to run for Poway City Council. And let's say there was one guy that was really rich and he wanted to spend more. What you would be doing is restricting his right to free speech. You would be because it would be not allowed for him to spend more than $10,000. So you are effectively shutting down his ability to freely express himself, to amplify his message, her message, pardon me, uh, is gender neutral here. But having that would, in my opinion, violate our individual rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, Yuri Bolin says, I read that it costs $4,000 to get on the recall ballot. $4,000 to get on the, oh, so that's the fee you have to pay to get on the ballot, I guess, to run for governor. So that's what probably what Caitlyn Jenner is spending. That's what Kevin Faulkner is spending, former mayor of San Diego. Who else is running for governor? John Cox. <laughs> Have you seen John Cox's ads? I mean, they're hilarious. He's going around in his big bus. John Cox, I think, lives in Rancho Santa Fe, doesn't he? And he ran for California governor last cycle. He's a Republican. And he got this big bus. And I saw the bus was parked. He had his podium in the front. He was given a speech and he had an actual bear, like a huge, was it a grizzly, grizzly bear or a black bear or something? I mean, you, you talk about how politics is a, is like a circus. Well, now I got the bear coming in. just like the bear and the, the center ring of the circus. Um, crazy. So I imagine those, yeah, those running for governor had to spend $4,000 to get on the ballot. Now, I mean, to me, it's not unreasonable that you got to spend money to run for office because they've got to print all the ballots and distribute it, right? So you got to pay to get in. Now we can argue about what the dollar figure should be. Um, so that was, excuse me, that was Yuri's post there, $4,000 to get on the recall ballot. I should have clicked on that. Let's look at Pete Neal's comment here. If you are active, in quotes, active in the community, you can't help but develop a way of thinking about topics focused by that activity perhaps to the exclusion of other interests. My thinking is representative government should attempt to remain unbiased by any particular thought or wish and decide strictly on the basis of majority interest. So Pete, that, that is your campaign strategy and your message you took to voters. And I think it's very noble. You've talked about this on the podcast. You as a politician don't have an agenda. You of the politician simply want to reflect the desires and wishes of the people in your district that you hope to be representing. That sounds nice. Now, I'll say this. Running for political office and saying you have no agenda, that's a tough sell. 
It really is. Because A, they expect that you're going to have an agenda. And B, if you say you have no agenda, they may doubt you. <laughs> um, I love this idea of getting input from the public, but I would encourage you to have some agenda beyond that. Um, Dana Sterl says, Caitlyn Jenner needs to sit down. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny uh, from this angle is I see so many of my friends on the left, you know, progressives slamming Kate and Caitlyn Jenner and, and trying to tear her down. But I often think that if she's going to run for office, she won't win the governorship. And then the, my progressive friends are going to blame the Republicans for being homophobes or transphobes. I don't know. Um, now, if I'm a betting man, by the way, I think Gavin Newsom does not get recalled. I think California is such an overwhelmingly blue state. And even though there are a lot of people that are angry about these shutdowns, lockdowns, everything else, it's largely been by political lines. And, and even though there are some independents and even some Democrats that are upset at Newsom, I don't think they would recall him and then instead elect a Republican to replace him. Because, you know, no Democrat is going to run to replace him. At least I don't expect any serious Democrat would. And then uh, Yuri Bolin goes on to say, uh, oh, there's, there's Dana's comment. Yuri Bolin says, Cox forgot to at least get a California brown bear. Yeah, I don't know if it, what, what kind of bear it was. It's obviously a very well-trained bear, maybe a sedated bear. But holy crap, having a bear right there, right next to you when you're delivering a speech on a podium, just sort of wandering around in the background. And if you look really closely, there's a, there's a fence like a wire fence that encloses the bear. But it's just such theater. And that's what a lot of this police politicians are all about. It's theater. Even Fauci and the mask requirement for vaccinated people outdoors is theater. So we just got to strip away a lot of this nonsense. Uh, Dana says, I don't think he will get recalled either. I agree with you, Dana. I don't think we're going to see Newsom uh, be removed. So anyways, I want to just share this. I respect the angle of those that support publicly financed uh, elections like Chris Cruz and, and, and you, even you, Dana, to essentially get money out of politics. I'm with you 100%. I'm on board with that. The money in politics right now is corrupt. It's, uh, it creates inequality before the law because all of those donations – encourage politicians to give special favors to special friends and to special interests. It's no, it's no longer where all men are created equal, where we are all treated equally under the law. Now it's this crazy system where there's different rules for different people and all these distortions. So I, I believe there's another strategy, a strategy that while it may be more difficult, I think is, is ultimately better. And hear me out on this. Why are big money people spending so much money backing uh, political candidates? What's the reason? Especially when corporations are spending huge amounts of money. What's the reason? Well, they realize that politicians in Congress and even in the state assembly and state Senate here in Sacramento – or even at the county supervisor level, they know politicians have great power 
to centrally plan the economy for the jurisdiction that they manage. They have the ability to push buttons, to pull levers, to set rules, to make it easier for some people to do business, more difficult for other people to do business. They can essentially tip the playing field in whatever direction they want by how they set up the rules. So all this big money is going in. So they are hopeful that their candidate will win and then tip the playing field in their favor at the expense of other people. So the whole reason that they're spending money to fund these political candidates is because the government has such massive power to centrally plan the economy and society at large. So I'm of the belief that we need to limit the power of government so they don't have that ability to centrally plan and to rig the rig the economy to benefit special interests. If the power of the government was strictly restricted, was limited really by the Constitution, the federal budget would be a fraction of what it is today. If we pulled in the reins of the power of government, those congressmen and senators wouldn't have such massive power. And frankly, that's why they run. Politicians want power, in some cases, to enact the legislation they want, to affect society the way they want, but in other cases, just to fuel their ego. Politicians want that power, and they know that being in that seat with great power afforded to them by, the, by what government is able to do, and we saw that in these lockdowns. We saw this in this massive printing of money, which is going to make the rich richer and the poor poor. We saw this in the shutdowns of restaurants and bars and gymnasiums and places of worship. And we saw this with my beloved San Diego Padres playing in front of essentially no fans last season and playing in front of very few fans now. They're finally good. And now a lot of us can't go to the game. So they distort and rig the system. So I'm always of the belief if you restricted the power of government, then they wouldn't have the ability to push buttons and pull levers and centrally plan. And then these moneyed interests would say, well, why would I spend money to get this guy elected? He has got no juice, got no power. And then what ends up happening is now these companies, rather than trying to rig the game, to try to make it difficult for new people to enter, creating barriers of entry, or to make it difficult on their competitors by setting up, you know, tremendous regulatory hurdles or setting up any sort of government edict that makes doing business difficult. Those that are already established can afford it, but the new guys coming in can't. So they essentially buy off the politicians to rig the system that way. But if the, if the government doesn't have that power, then what are these corporations left to do? They're just left to compete. They're left to compete honestly to try to win customers by providing the best products and services. They can no longer make money by, dis, by changing the rules of the game. They can then only have to be able to make money by providing value to their customers. To me, that's the better approach because I don't think you're ever if you if you try to get money out of politics by putting campaign limits, by putting um, public funding of campaigns. 
it's not really consistent with liberty or freedom. It's a restriction of people's First Amendment rights, and it encourages a lot of yahoos to come forward that are publicity seekers and entrepreneurs and joke candidates to gobble up all that money. And then God knows how many people are going to run, you know, for governor of California. There might be a thousand. There's free money on the table to get all this advertising, TV, radio, Internet. You're going to see a lot of people come forward. And then at what point does that budget run out? So I don't know. I, I just think it's it's it sounds good, doesn't it? To publicly fund elections. I just don't think it when you really break it down logistically, I, I don't I don't think it works. If you do it the way they want to do it. Now, granted, right now there is some public funding, but right now it's kind of a hybrid where you can get public money or you can opt out or you get a fraction of your money of your spending in public money. But to do it purely, I don't think makes much sense at all. Um Dana on the live stream one more time. I've always been a big supporter of no parties too. let the candidates tell us what they want to accomplish. Yeah, I agree. Um, I am no party preference. I'm independent. Uh, yeah. And to me, the parties distort it. They, the, the parties, frankly, rig the game. The parties, the Republicans and Democrats make it very difficult on independent candidates and on third parties to compete. Because they set up rules and regulations. That's why often third parties, independent candidates got to get way more signatures to qualify for a ballot than those that are part of a partisan party. Republican and Democratic candidates get on ballots very easily. Not so for third party and independents. And then when it comes to the debates, oh, my God, when was the last time we saw three presidential candidates on the stage in October? You have to go back to, what, 92 when Ross Perot ran? America is a country where we have more options on more brands of toothpaste and shampoo and soda and beer and everything else. We got thousands of choices in almost every product category. Well, I'm exaggerating. But when it comes to president, they only serve up two. What the hell? Um, And on top of it, there are more voters that are independent, like you and me, Dana, than there are voters that are Republican or Democrat. Because a lot of times people are fed up with these two parties. Dana says, yes, Mitt Romney is a good example. When he was running in the primaries, he told us what he wanted to do. Then he got the nomination and flipped and told us what the Republican Party wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. He was another big flip-flopper was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He ran, I thought, a campaign, very noble. He wanted to do a lot of good things. And once he got enacted in office, he just wanted to be liked. And he flip-flopped on a lot of stuff, too. They flip-flop because they want to remain in power. Then they want to be liked. They don't want to be perceived as the bad guy. But if you get elected on a campaign platform, then that basically is telling you, you know, you've got the support of those, of those voters to enact your platform. It's interesting. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, you know, we're talking here about our, our hometown of Poway. I created this website um, for our friends that live in the city of Poway, or maybe they are from uh, nearby towns. Maybe they want to move to Poway. And the website's called powayisawesome.com. And if you go there, uh, you will get free wallpaper for your desktop computer, 
your tablet, or your telephone. And so there's, you can download pictures of Lake Poway, of Old Poway Park, of Iron Mountain, and you can have those nicely displayed as the background image on your desktop computer, your tablet, or your phone. All pictures of Poway, all free. So go to powayisawesome.com and sign up. Okay. Um, wow, we're already at a minute and 11, or an hour and 11 minutes. Um, we have time for this. I, you know, I'm going to save this next one till my next podcast. I, I'm going to start doing this Johnny's Rules for Life. In fact, really, it should be the lead topic rather than buried here at the back end of the show. Um, I'm going to start rolling out probably one per episode over a period of time of my lessons that I've learned in life, things that lessons that I teach my children that I want to pass down to others, things that I've learned. And we've seen other people come out with their own rules of life. Jordan Peterson, who's a very popular kind of uh, philosopher, psychologist, he has his book, The 12 Rules for Life. Some of it's pretty interesting. I like some of it, not like others. I always like those kinds of lists, don't you? Like the top seven things in your life, uh, the top things every man should teach his son. (laughs) So I'm going to start releasing those over a period of time, and I'm going to start writing about them more in blogs. Who knows? Maybe this turns into, you know, an ebook or maybe even something bigger. But I, I want to go down this path because, you know, we talk about politics, and but I, I want to do more self-improvement. So I'm going to do some of that in my next podcast, and I look forward to sharing that with you. So we'll get together and go over it then. You know, so, you know, we do this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2. And I put every in quotes. Sometimes I can't do it. Like this past Wednesday, I skipped it because I just had too much going on in my job. Um, Generally, this time slot works for me because I'm a small business owner and I can creatively maneuver the things that I'm working on. And then I generally like to leave my evenings open for the Padre games, especially in the spring and summer Um, and the Aztec basketball games in the winter and the fall. Well, that's why we do it now. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two. And so I'm, I'll be scheduled to come back at two o'clock on Monday. And I already got I already got part of the podcast ready to go. But I, I mean, we're at an hour 13. I don't want to make this crazy long. I, about an hour is about right. You know, some of these podcasts, I, 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 by the way, I've enjoyed. We've done some podcasts go over three hours, which is great because especially when I have a guest. Right. So we can go as long as we want. But when it's just me. You know, an hour's plenty. Okay, a um, couple of closing quotes. And these are actually consistent with one of my lessons in life. So I'm going to kind of let a little bit of the first one out of the bag here. And the first quote is from Steve Jobs. Okay, we all know Steve Jobs, the founder or the co-founder of Apple Computer, the great innovator of the Macintosh and of the iPhone and the iPod and the iPad and all the iTunes and all the great things that he has done. And he's since passed away, of course. But this is a great quote from him. And it's very much aligned with my first rule of life that I'll present on Monday. And that is this. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just live your life, man. That's why this podcast, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, man, live your life. Live it, man. 
flourish. Go out there and be all you can be. We're going to break that down in more detail on Monday. The second line on this is a wonderful one, too. It's from the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. And he says, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. Right? Even the Dalai Lama gets it when it comes to the pursuit of happiness. Right? So... um, what do we got here? Yuri Bolin says, no, two hours is good. <laughs> really? Do you really think that? I mean, tell me, get, tell me honestly. Do you think going two hours is good? Um, sometimes I think it is. Uh, and then Pete on the live stream says, one hour per person is great. <laughs> Pete and I, we've already scheduled a three-way podcast for it's for Wednesday of next week, right? Right, Pete, with one of his close friends, and we're going to explore a really great topic. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag yet, um, but we're going to have a three way. So does that mean we're going to go three hours? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I already I already got the extra microphone and boom stand all set up. I got three of us ready to go here in the podcast studio. Looking forward to that on Wednesday. And then Pete on the live stream says interwoven conversation, of course, right? Yeah, not uh, three separate one hour monologues. But, you know, I understand podcasts can be long. You take them in bite-sized chunks. But, you know, if I'm by myself, I think an hour, that's plenty. And this next podcast or this next topic with one of my my first rule for life is uh, something that it's going to take, like, you know, Pat Johnson coming on the live stream. Pat, are you still in Norway right now? Or have you come back home to Poway? Pat Johnson says, I vote for one and a half hours. Wow. Never thought people would be so enthusiastic to, to listen or view me kind of rant on my soapbox. Um, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I've been known to go one and a half hours. But honestly, if I get into this, I'm going to go over one and a half. So we're going to save it till Monday. But thank you for the feedback, because now I know that um, maybe one hour, I, maybe that's an arbitrary limit. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it's not a big deal. Uh, and then Pat says, no, I'm home. So you're, you're back home in the city of country. Good to see you, Pat. Okay. Um, it's Friday. Padres are playing the Mariners. Looking forward to that. Um, got some friends coming in from out of town. Um, friend of ours, they're from the Bay Area. We've known um, this couple. We've known the... The wife, as a good friend of my wife, so I knew her in college. We all went to school together. UCSD, she's a CPA up in the Bay Area, and her husband is um, a police officer and just recently got his master's in, it was a criminology, I think, from the University of San Diego. So they're in town, and they have a timeshare in Oceanside. So I think they're going to come visit us tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. That'll be good. And they've got two children that are wonderful kids, and they're, they're adults by now. One of them graduated from George Washington University, and the other one is still – did he graduate from UCLA or he's still at UCLA? I think he's still there. They're both crazy smart and great heads on their shoulders, and they're both – passionate for Bernie Sanders. So it's always fun to talk to the kids. I don't know if they're going to be coming, though. We're going to find out tomorrow. We'll see. But anyways, um, thanks for joining me. This is episode number 235 of the John Riley Project. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Visit my website at johnreillyproject.com, and we'll see you Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Bye, friends.